Um, okay, the first um, reading tonight is uh, from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 to 25, and can be found on, uh, starting on page 517 of the Pew Bibles. Turn to me and be saved, or you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will save me. In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult. Second reading is from... Paul's letter to the Philippians, starting at verse 27 of chapter 1. Paul's in jail, and uh, although he is facing the probability of death, he remains determined and convinced that he will be with the Philippians to encourage them in their growth in faith. So picking up at verse 27... Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I feel like just sitting down and just saying amen when the Bible is read like that. It's just good to have the word of God just come to life as it's read. So thank you, Anna, and thank you, Peter. My name is Paul. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians. I'm loving Philippians. It's just a great book, a church that the Apostle Paul loves dearly. And he's just writing to them because he wants them to keep going in the faith. I'm just loving preaching. So let me pray as we look at this uh, beautiful passage of Scripture tonight. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for your Word that you have entrusted to us, that you've left with us. Thank you for the riches of your Word. Help me, Lord, please, to handle it correctly. Help us to be nourished by it. Uh, Lord, I pray that your Word would be always on our lips. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Friends, here's our mission statement for Church by the Bridge. I'll, I'll do my own slides, Ken. Living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. That's what we are claiming to be as a church. We're a church that is living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. So that mission statement is written on our notice board outside. If you checked our website, you'd see that mission statement, living for Jesus, loving like Jesus. It's everywhere. That's what this church is about. And that mission statement is not just about you and your own individual walk with God. It's not just about you living for Jesus and you loving like Jesus. It's, it's us, together, the church family being a body of people who together are, are living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. Yeah, when somebody walks through this door, if you're a visitor here tonight, we are claiming that you will see a, a body of people who are living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. When somebody walks through this door, they should spot by the way that we talk to each other and the things that we talk about that we're a people who are living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. Uh, they should recognize, by the way, that we treat each other, by our priorities, by the things that happen in this service, that we're all about living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. That's what we claim. Have you ever bought something that didn't match up to the claims it made? My three, and I admit this, my three worst purchases of 2009 was a fake ShamWow from the quarry shop. It did not do it. It didn't work. Uh, the swivel sweeper. Don't buy it. Doesn't work. As my wife reminded me, the under eye gel that removes your, your wrinkles. Doesn't work. Uh, sometimes the claims that are made and the reality doesn't match up, 
Sometimes that's just funny. You can laugh about that. Uh, but sometimes when something claims to do something but doesn't match up in reality, it's not funny at all. It's actually really tragic. You know, to hear about uh, people who have lost their entire savings so they've been conned by something that didn't match up to reality. That's tragic. Uh, to hear when people invest in you know, slimming tablets that claim to, to lose weight but actually they're real hazardous your health. That's not funny, that's tragic. And friends, when we, the church, claim to offer something, claim to believe something, claim to be something, but we don't live up to that claim, the reality is something very different, it's not funny. It's really sad and really tragic. Because it's not just the reputation of church by the bridge, it's not just your reputation at stake. What's at stake is the, the name and the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we don't live up to the claims that we make. We're a church living for Jesus, loving like Jesus. But when the reality is something very different, that is tragic. And Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. He's already told them that his aim in life is that he would always exalt Christ. For me to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. And basically, he turns to the Philippian church and just says, ditto. That should, you, that should be your aim as well. Uh, the memory verse for this week is Philippians 1 verse 27. Look at it with me. Whatever happens, whatever happens... The one thing you need to know, Philippians, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Make sure your living, your conduct, your behavior is in line, is in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You claim to live for Jesus, make sure what you're actually doing backs up that claim. Uh, whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence. You know, whether I'm right with you, standing over your shoulder, peering down your neck, breathing down your neck, or I'm on the other side of the world, it doesn't matter. It's not my presence that should, that should make you live godly lives. It's, it's your love for Jesus. Whatever happens, make sure that you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. See, for the Apostle Paul, this whole concept of, you know, this is my Christian life, and that's the rest of my life. That's an anomaly. This is my church life. This is my church behavior. This is my church, church patterns of speech. And this is how I am the rest of my time. It's a complete anomaly. Your behavior shouldn't change. Whether you're in church or out of church. Whether you're with Christians or in the world. Whatever happens, make sure that you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Tonight I want to look at two ways that we as a church, we as a body are called to do that. How are we going to demonstrate to the world that we really are living for the gospel of Christ? Here's my first word for you. Harmony. I was going to call this point unity. But I reckon unity is such an overused word. And actually this is more than unity. If we're living a life worthy of the gospel, we'll be living in harmony with each other. If you're musical, you'll understand what that word harmony means. Uh, the word harmony just means that you've got a combination of, 
of different sounds. They just work really well together. They are different sounds, but they sound good together. They complement each other, and they make something more beautiful and more lovely. That that is harmony. You can spot good harmony. You can spot bad harmony, can't you? (laughs) That kind of discordant noise. Surely that singer can spot that she's really not in harmony with the other singer. I can spot that. Can she spot that? Not tonight. Uh, but you know, but, you know, but when, when, when one singer is so determined that, you know, that they are right and they're going to stick to their guns and sing that tune, even though they can hear it sounds dreadful. That's disharmony and it's ugly. But harmony, it, it sounds beautiful and it's a pleasure to be part of. And Paul says to the Philippian church, when you live in harmony... It looks beautiful to the world and it's a pleasure to be part of. You see, we as a church can have the best marketing campaigns and the best website, and, but if we're not demonstrating that with harmonious relationships, well, it's pointless. Look what he says in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So whether I come or I don't come, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That's the repetition, one, one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. He's saying, if, if you've been gripped by the gospel, if you really are church, if you're living for Jesus, then people will see you standing together for Christ. The world will see you striving together for the gospel working side by side and brothers in arms together for the glory of Christ. Contending, that word is wrestling like a gladiator word. We're wrestling together for Jesus. You see, we're not a hundred individuals. We're one. Jesus has brought us that harmony. The gospel message is, is crazy, isn't it? That, that one man is dying for the sins of the world. If we're preaching to the world that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him, the, the, uni- the uniqueness of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ, our world doesn't want to hear that. But if we're doing it together, if together we're saying that is true, then all it takes is, is one or two individuals in this church to go, yeah, I, I don't really like that. He's one way, but he's not the only way. We've undermined the togetherness, the harmony that the gospel brings. It's like the, uh, you know, the, the riot squads. If there's a riot, and if you're a policeman, if you're part of the riot squad, if you're part of that w- riot squad trying to defend, you don't try and blend in with the crowd. You're prepared to put on the uniform, and you don't stand isolated. You, you, you link arms with, with your brothers, and you stand as one. Immovable. That's what he's talking about here in this church. The gospel message which is being mocked and maligned by our world and our politicians and your family and your work colleagues. If we're not united in that, Paul is saying together you stand. Together you preach Christ. Uh, No competitiveness, no compromise, no passengers in this together. The word passengers is a word that Alec Mateer uses. It's quite a helpful word. He says, you can't have a church with passengers. 
You can't sit in church and say, I agree with what you're saying, but I won't join you. I agree with you, but I don't do part of you. I'll just sit on the sidelines and live my little life when I feel like it. You can't do that. If you're part of this family, if you're part of this body, we're in this together. Forget denominations. I don't care about denominations. I don't care about style. What I care is us together in Christ, standing together for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And that is powerful. But if we're not doing it, then Christ is ridiculed. If we are doing it, if we're fighting for that truth together, we will face opposition. We may not face the opposition that thousands of Christians will face as they wake up tomorrow morning, but we will face some opposition. He says in verse 28, without being frightened in any way, don't be scared by those who oppose you. You expect that because this is a sign to them, to the world, that they will be destroyed when they oppose Christ. But but that you will be saved because you'll be more convinced that the gospel is true. It's being granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer for him. You ever thought it like that? That that suffering is actually a gift? It's a privilege to suffer for Christ? If we're speaking out together, if we're in harmony on this, we might just suffer for Christ? And that's a grace, a gift of God? I want to put it really bluntly. If we are not working in harmony, if we're not fighting for the truth of the gospel together, will actually hinder the gospel going out in Kirby. We can hold all these fair trade markets and all these simple Christianity courses, but if we're not working together for Christ, all the world sees is a bunch of disunited people. But it's not just harmony on the field. I think we're pretty good at standing together on the field against the opposition. It's the harmony in the locker room that counts. The harmony behind closed doors, the way we relate as family. And perhaps that's one reason why more people don't come to church, because they, they see the, the bitching and the fighting and the whinging and the jealousy. And if we're out of tune with each other, the gospel won't get out. It's been a very poignant week for me this week, as God in his wisdom has given me this passage to preach. And Paul doesn't want a church that he cares about to be torn apart. And I don't want a church that I care about to be torn apart either. So listen carefully to verses 1 and 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you've come to Christ and you've experienced salvation and you're one with Christ, we're one in him. If we've experienced the comfort that comes from his love, you know, we are loved unconditionally. If we're together in that, if the fellowship of the Spirit, that you know, we have the same Spirit, I have the Spirit, you have the Spirit, we are one in Christ. If you've experienced his tenderness and the compassion of God, if you're a Christian here tonight, if you're part of this family, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, same mind, having the same love, and being one in Spirit and purpose. It's extraordinary. You know, Paul's already said that the Philippians bring him joy. That joy of partnership. But as he sits in chains, he's asking the Philippian church to almost fill his cup of joy to the brim. Now what's going to do that is when they work together. Same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. We're in this together for the gospel. 
He's not saying that we all become clones of each other. He's not saying that you can't think differently on something. Some some churches are like that. You can't think differently. You can't question. You have to dress the same, speak the same. That's not harmony. That's just a cult. There's diversity here, and there's a joy of diversity, but but because of Christ, we're called to be like-minded. We want to live for Jesus. We're called to have the same love. We want to love like Jesus. We're called to have the same spirit, the same purpose, seeing the gospel guide above everything else. So what's going to hinder our harmony here? There's a few things that will hinder harmony. When we just push our own agendas, it's our needs, our plans, our desires, our preferences above the gospel. Pride. Pride always causes disharmony. And bitterness. You allow that past hurt to fester. And it's not that you slander each other, it's just that you're just really cold towards each other. Judging each other. You make massive assumptions that you think you know why they did something or why they're doing something. Well, we just take each other for granted. We just stop investing in these relationships. See, that's what will help harmony in this church. You will have your differences, you will have your disagreements, but we're, we're together in this for Christ. And so that deep commitment to relationships, that deep commitment to each other, listening, caring, spending time together, serving together, forgiving each other. But most importantly, the harmony is your commitment to Christ. It's going back to your Savior. We forgive because Christ forgave us. We care because Christ cares for us. We serve because Christ served us. I don't know, when people look at this church, I know they use words like, oh, it's an active church, it's a a young church, it's a vibrant church, but would they use the word, it's a church in harmony? Together in the world, together behind closed doors. That's the first word. If you want to live a life worth the gospel, live in harmony. Second word, if you want to live a life worthy of the gospel, live with humility. That's what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing. He's pretty emphatic. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. No selfish ambition, no vain conceit, but in humility. With humility, consider others better than yourself. Now, humility is such a, a mark of a church that's living for Christ. Because he was the most humble person that ever lived. If you want to live a, read a book on humility, read this one. It's called Humility, True Greatness by C.J. Mahaney. What is humility? Humility is honestly assessing yourself in light of God's holiness and your own sinfulness. Assessing yourself in light of God's holiness and your own sinfulness. It keeps coming back to the cross, doesn't it? You stand next to the cross and you say, I'm just a wretched sinner, forgiven by my Savior, in need of your forgiveness, just walking by grace. I'm like that. You're like that. I'm no better than you. I'm no worse than you. And if you're marked by humility, you put off the negative. You don't do things out of selfish ambition. You stop thinking it's all about you. You stop thinking, how will this further me? How will this improve me? How will this benefit me? How will this fit into my plans and my agendas? 
Because if you're humble, it's not about you. It's about Christ and about his church. The word for, for ambition is it's actually rivalry. It's like you're trying to outdo each other in church, get the upper hand. That's not a mark of humility. Or vain conceit. I think we can spot conceit in others very easily. And we need people to tell us when we're slipping into conceit. It's that kind of, you have too high opinion of yourself. Let me read a poem by Robert Rains. He says this. Maybe close your eyes and listen to his words. Lord, I'm like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me. How they can further my program. Feed my ego. Satisfy my needs. Give me strategic advantage. I exploit people. Ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own sake. Lord, I, I do turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favours. Your direction for my schemes. Your power for my projects. Your sanctions for my ambitions. Your blank checks for whatever I want. Lord, I am like James and John. So as if you've met Christ, if you've found that encouragement of being with Christ, you'll be marked by humility. No selfish ambition, no conceit. Uh, the positive is so liberating, it's so refreshing. In humility, consider others better than yourself. No exception, no, ex no restrictions. All other people, consider them better than you. Uh, have a realistic view of yourself. You're a wretched sinner, saved by grace. You know, better than them. And you start to think, you know, how can I help them? How can I serve them? What would be good for them? Don Carson once asked the theologian Carl Henry how he remained so humble after so many decades. He gave this great response. How can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? How can you be arrogant when you stand beside the cross of Christ? You see, arrogance to the Christian is a foreign thing because we're all sinners saved by grace. And when you get that right, you start to see God's grace at work in other people. You start to see God's goodness being shown on other people. And you start to say, how can I serve them? It really means, verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests. It's not a blanket prohibition on your own interests. He's warning you, he's warning you about being selfish in your own interests. Not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. They're thinking, Lord, how can I use my time to serve somebody else? How can I meet their needs? How can I encourage them? What would be good for the church? I, I don't feel like going to connect group tonight, but it would be really good for the group for me to go. I, I don't really like the people in my connect group this year. They're not at my stage of life, and you know, I just want my friends around me. But you go, no, how can me going there serve them? How can I encourage them? What an opportunity, Lord. Thank you for placing me in that group. And someone has said, uh, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. And that's the mark of humility. Uh, not just a willingness to play second fiddle, but a desire to play second fiddle. You don't want to play first violin. You actually want to play second violin. 
because you want to serve others. That's the mark of living a life worthy of the gospel. Conducting yourself worthy of the gospel. Harmony and humility. Uh, Joshua Harris uses a very helpful example. He talks about a choir and how the church should be just like a choir. Why would you join a choir? Please don't join a choir if you want to be a soloist. If you want to be a soloist, pursue your dream, be a soloist, stand out, sing by yourself. Please don't be a prima donna in a choir, thinking that you're better than other people. If you want to join a choir, learn to listen. Listen to those around you. What are they singing? How can you sing in tune with them? If you want to be part of a choir, be willing to let others shine. Be willing just to never have your name in print anywhere. You're just one of a body, but you're working together to make a beautiful noise. That's church. That's living lives worthy of the gospel. Harmony, humility. Uh, President Truman said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Same with the church. It's amazing what we could accomplish if we didn't care who got the credit. So how are you going to do all this, friends? How are you going to make sure that we're striving for harmony, we're striving for humility? When Paul says things like, in humility, consider others better than yourself, look to consider others, why are you saying that stuff? And the answer is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul goes on. He talks about your attitude, verse 5, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let me be very clear. This passage here is packed with theological truth. I could spend a month unpacking it. I'm not going to. But it's not written for doctrine. It's written for pastoral care. These verses are, are your example. They're your motivation. They're your model for harmony and humility. Your attitude should be the same. He's the example. Look to Christ. You've got to get this right, because if you're striving for harmony, and if we're striving for humility, but there's no Christ, it's just this pious religion. The bottom line is this. Listen very carefully. All of us here need to have a deeper, closer, more intimate walk with Christ. That's going to feed our harmony. That's going to feed our humility. More of Jesus and less of me. See, Jesus, verse 6 He was God. He is God, being in very nature God. That's his mode. That's his form. He is God. He always will be God. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto at all cost. Jesus didn't use his nature as God for his own advantage. The Lord Jesus Christ never said, okay, God, how is this going to benefit me? How is me becoming a man going to be for my good? He didn't do that. He didn't use his status as God as an opportunity to get and get and get for himself. He, he gave and he gave and he gave. He did two things. Verse 7, he made himself nothing. And verse 8, he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself, literally. He, he stepped into our time-space world and he took on the nature, not just of a, of a man, but verse 7, of a servant, a slave. That's humility. It was totally voluntary. 
He chose to relinquish his rights. He became man. I was thinking this week, Jesus could have been the most arrogant man that ever walked on earth, couldn't he? He could have strutted around this world, rock star status. Hey, I'm God. He didn't. He was utterly humble. He put aside all his potential glory, his potential fame. And verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look at those last five words, even death on a cross. That's the scandal. The, the one who is God would not just step into our world, but, but would die the death of a, of a crucifixion, the bloody, naked, mockery-cursed cross. That's humiliation. You ever asked why Jesus did that? You ever asked why Jesus would put himself through the most vile death imaginable? And the answer is, he wasn't looking to his own interests. He was looking to the interests of others. Saving others was more important than saving himself. His father's glory, his father's will was more important than his own will. That is humility. And friends, here's the model for us. Because we're living for Jesus. God has exalted him to the highest place. He's given him the name of every name. He is Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, the Alpha, the Omega, the Rock. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And one day, every knee will bow to him whether they want to or not. And so we're living for Jesus. And we're loving like Jesus. But the question for you tonight is this. Are we conducting ourselves as a church in a manner worthy of Christ? Are we living in harmony? Are we living in humility? C.J. Mahoney prays this prayer every day. He says, Father, I want to stand as close to the cross as I possibly can because it's harder for me to be arrogant when I'm there. Father, I want to stand as close to the cross as I possibly can because it's harder for me to be arrogant when I'm there. Friends, there are people here who I just see walking closely with Jesus. There's a lady, not at this congregation, who I've seen in the last two years, as her love for Christ has deepened. She's worked so hard on harmony. She's restored hard relationships. She's offered that forgiveness. It's a mark of a depth of her walk with Christ. There's a man at 9.45 who you just see his humility. He could boast. He's a very successful man, a very able man. But it's all about other people. He's serving the people in, in Greenway. He's serving his family. He's serving the local church. He's, it's just all about others and not self. Now what marks those two people? A deep, deep love for Jesus. A deep, deep love for Jesus. So I could stand here and finish this sermon by giving you a whole list of things to go and do. Ten top tips to be living in harmony. Ten top tips to be humble in life. I'll give you one. Know Jesus better. Understand the cross better. Understand Jesus better. And harmony and humility will be the natural flow and effect. Let me pray.
Father, we do want to stand as close to the cross as we possibly can. Because it's harder for us to be arrogant when we're there. Uh, Father, we ask that you'd help us to conduct ourselves as a church in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that we preach and the gospel that we sing about and the gospel we talk about. Lord, please change our behavior. Please change the way that we relate to each other. Change the way we relate to the world. And please, please give us real humility. Rid us of pride. Please do a good work in us, Lord, to help us to look to others above ourselves. I ask that for Jesus' sake.